0: Okay. Amen, church. Hey, guys, I miss you. I hope you guys are doing well. May this uh, service be a blessing to you. Hey, we are finished We finished up with our um, the Way of the Lamb series uh, with Evan's last message on the Church of Laodicea. Uh, we're, we're, we're thinking about doing another uh, message or series coming up next week. It's called The Wounded Healers. I'm really excited about that message. So that series is going to be really great. It's about how ordinary people who've been hurt in their lives end up becoming people who can become blessing and ministers to others. So I'm excited for that um, and all the stuff that's going to be accompanied with that. But uh, I want to kind of finish up Revelation with one more message uh, just in regards to God. I, I I want us to kind of embrace and see just the heavenly realm of worship, or heavenly realm of uh, the Book of Revelation. So uh, we're going to do one more message on the Book of Revelation. I hope that uh, God speaks to you, in and through this time, okay? All right. So let me let me start with Revelation chapter four. We're going to read three verses just to give you kind of like the by way of context and by way of uh, information of what's happening here. Okay. Uh, book of Revelation again is it's an apocalyptic literature. What it means is it's it's God opening the veil of reality to help the prophet see into an ultimate reality, a world behind the world, a world where things are being orchestrated and being uh, driven from the background, a world that we cannot see. And so the apocalyptic literature allows for us to peek into that and to be able to embrace and learn from that and understand the implications of that. And so in this chapter, chapter 4, we see a very clear glimpse of this where John is given a vision of the throne room of heaven, where God opens and peels the veil of this reality so that John can look and behold the reality of heaven. Alright, so if you guys can just open your Bible to Revelation chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. Just let me give you some context by way of introduction. Okay. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, it goes like this. After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, a rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. I have a picture for you guys. This is the best uh, artist rendition I can find online when I Googled it. I hope you guys see. So this is pretty much something that, that, that John was kind of glimpsing while he uh, saw the throne room of heaven, okay? Now, with that said, I know, I know that some of you guys are at home, you're thinking, man, this is such a, such a church move right? We, we have all these things going on in the world around us. We got the riots. We got the um, partisan fighting. We got go- COVID-19 happening. We got BLM. We have shootings on the streets. And, all of, a- and of course, the church has to talk about heaven, okay? Like, like, I-, I know for a lot of us, the idea of heaven seems very impractical. We like it, because it feels like it's it's fire insurance, and we like the idea that it could be something in the background in our lives, right? But oftentimes, we think of the picture of heaven, at least the nature of heaven, as really irrelevant and impractical to our life. Doesn't it? Okay? And, 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 And I'm pretty sure a lot of you guys are thinking, you know what, probably the speculation on the nature of heaven is not very relevant to today. Now, if you're thinking like that, I wanna let you guys know it's a very shallow analysis. And, And I think it's the sign of the times and signs of the age where we engage in every type of topic without thinking through the implications of it, right? Because the idea here is this, if heaven is a reality, then it has tremendous implications to your life. It has tremendous implication to the way you conduct your life at this very moment. If heaven is a true reality. 21 years ago there's a movie that came out called The Matrix. Some of you guys weren't even born yet when that movie came out. I'm not even sure if some of you guys even seen the movie yet, but if you have not seen the movie, I recommend it. You know, this week what you're doing nothing, go on Netflix, watch The Matrix. It is a one of those really cool, mind-bending uh, movies that kind of reshaped the Hollywood landscape when it first came out, okay? The graphics and all this stuff, but pretty much the premise is, is the world, humanity, is under a simulation of AIs, okay? The AI, the artificial intelligence has taken over the world, they put all of humanity into the simulation to use the, their body heat as a, generation, as, as a way to generate power and energy. So everything you notice and see belongs to this thing called the matrix. Right, and there's a character in this in this movie called Neil, and he was able to be freed by a rebel group that was not in the simulation. Okay, he was able to be freed by rebel group who are living in the actual reality of Earth itself, not the simulation of Earth. So, when Neil was finally taken out of the simulation, and he's opening his eyes, and they're kind of rehabilitating him. Okay. He looks up, he opens his eyes, and we see this one scene where he says, you know, how come my eyes are hurting? And uh, the person who saved him said, it's because it's the first time you've ever really seen. Right? And I remember if you were there, if you, if you were in that time, I, I was 16 years old and I came out of the movie theater, I was like, man, what if this, this is just a simulation and there's an ultimate reality outside of this? It's like really playing with your brains a little bit, and you start thinking about the implication of that, what that would mean for our world. And in the same way, what if Revelation is telling you something very, very important? What if the book of Revelation is trying to reveal something to you that is uber important during this season? What if there's not just a simple physical reality that we have, but there is an ultimate reality? There's an ultimate reality of which this world is just a broken reflection of. If this is true, if this is true, if 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 there is an ultimate reality outside of this one, then everything about your life, everything you do, and everyone you know changes. It shakes everything up, right? It, it shakes everything you know about here up. Things that seem so wrong, so so world-changing, so earth shattering, so 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 worthless. Uh, talking about, things that that you're willing to destroy relationships on, if there's an ultimate reality, all of a sudden those things become very insignificant and not so important. Or things that seem not so important, things that seems like a, a daily grind, a consistent movement for your daily life, all of a sudden has huge significance. If heaven is an ultimate reality. You see, if revelation is revealing to us truth, it will literally turn your world upside down if you think through the implication. And that's what I'm trying to get you guys to do. Right? This age is trying to think trying to trying to teach you to think in this moment in this in this few years that you have. But the Word of God is trying to get you to think through the ultimate implications of reality, the ultimate implication of this world of history. You got to think further than just this moment. And that's what Revelation is trying to do to us. And what we have, what we need is we need a proper perspective of heaven. You yes, get me? You got to have a proper perspective of heaven. And so, what we saw here in uh, John, uh, John, uh, Revelation uh, chapter 4 is what? Right? We saw that John is allowed to look into heaven to get out of the shadow of where we are, to get out of the corner with our phones or our computers in the dark room, uh, looking at it, and see. John was able to see what things are really like. Jesus is calling John to get out of that place get out of the back alleys get out of the corner and come and behold ultimate reality this is what's waiting and it is jesus voice that calls him and if jesus is who he says he is jesus is the living proof that heaven is alive that heaven is real that that reality is real you guys follow me if jesus is who he says he is then the ultimate reality of heaven is real. Jesus is the one that says, I am the one who came down from heaven. Paul calls him the man from heaven. Jesus is the proof of heaven. So if you are a believer, I need you to really think out the implication of that. If you are a believer, and you said, I follow Jesus, right, and 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 there must be an ultimate reality out there, it's not simply, heaven It's not simply some consolation prize that you get after you die. Right? If Jesus is who he says he is, heaven is not some opium for your soul to get you through the tough times on earth. If Jesus is who he says he is, heaven is not some wishful daydream. Jesus is re- if Jesus is real, reality of heaven is real. Therefore, it will have humongous implication on your life for the here and now. It should change the way you think. It should change the way you 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 act. It should change the way you, you you engage in with everyone and everything. It should change what I do and don't do. It should change the way I think about what's important and what's not important. See, so, sometimes we get caught up in the moment. We get caught up in in the flow of history. We get caught up in the in, in the in the time in the uh, in the sign in the season of the age. And we forget. That there's an ultimate reality. There is an agenda that God still has. There is a history that God is still making. There is a purpose that we're still living for. There is direction for us and not to be distracted. You guys get me, right? So what does John see? What does John see? John only saw the throne room. He didn't see all of heaven because that would probably blow his mind. He couldn't have the words to probably describe all of heaven. But he saw heaven. He saw the throne of heaven, he saw the, 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 the things of heaven, okay? And what was the one thing that he encountered while he was up there? The first thing he encountered when he saw heaven. Was it about just the pearly gates? Was it that like um, streets paved with gold? Was that, was that the main thing he, he, he talked about? Was that the main thing that came out? No. The first thing of heaven, the first thing that he recognized from heaven was this. It was worship. Everyone home say worship, right? Worship, the essence of ultimate reality that Jesus was trying to pull back so that John can see and therefore reveal to us in this letter was that the essence of reality is worship. Worship. This is the Bible's answers to life's deep question. This is the Bible's answer to what is the essence of life? What is the purpose of life? Where is history going? What holds everything together? What, it, what, is, what, what is it that what, what, what does it mean to be human? Worship, is the answer. And now some of you guys are thinking, what? How is that? How can that be? Well, let me share with you guys. I have three points today. Um, three things about worship I want you to see from this passage. Okay, the need for worship the way to worship, and the focus of worship. The need for worship, the way to worship, and the focus of worship. You guys ready? All right, so the need for worship. Look at verse 4 to 11. This is a description. You're going to see a lot of crazy gonna Don't get lost in all the details, okay? Try to see the big picture because if you get lost in details, you're just going to ask like a, a gajillion questions. And then we don't have time to answer all of those questions. I would love to. Right, And I will soon, one day. But at this moment, I want just to see the big picture of what's happening. He's in the throne of God. He is beholding this spectacle. And the first thing he recognizes is that worship is happening. He sees flying creatures. He sees elders before a throne. He sees incense burning. He, he hears praise and singing. Check this out. Verse 4 to 11. Chapter 4, verses 4 to 11. It says this. Surrounding the throne were twenty-four other thrones, and seated on them were twenty-four elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing, and these are the seven spirits of God. Also before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second was like an ox, the third had a face like a man, the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around them, even under his wings. Day Day and night they never stopped singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. The need for worship. See what Jesus was showing John in this revelation of the throne of heaven was that all beings was worshiping Jesus. We see we see the, the picture of the 24 elders. Now the the who are they? 24 elders. It could represent, probably represents the 12 tribes of, of, um, of Jacob or Israel and the 12 apostles, okay? Representing the human realm, representing the human closeness that the 12 tribes were God's chosen people, that the apostles were God's chosen instrument to preach and lay the foundation of his good news to the world around him, right? The human aspect of it was at the throne of God. And then, what did we see? We saw the four living creatures, and these living creatures are the only creatures in heaven, the spiritual beings at least, Right? That have wings. They're not called angels. I mean, they could be angels. Angels are just basically messengers. They could be acting as a messenger, but these are the only beings that actually have wings. Okay? And they are the, the closest beings to God. Right? They are powerful simply of their vicinity to God. You get I me? Mean? No other beings is, is even able to be that close. They are called, um, these spirits are called throne guardians. And they are able to they protect the sacred space, which is the throne of God. And so what do we see here? We see this kind of connection of the spiritual realm, these, 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 these spiritual creatures who are the closest to God because of their vicinity to God. And we see this, this, this um, uh, fusion, right, with the human realm, the 24 elders there before God. Heaven and earth coming together, doing what? Worship. They're giving worship. Now, what is the point of this? What is the point of why Jesus wants to show John this picture? This 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 view because he is reminding John everything needs to worship, everything created, everything alive needs to offer worship everything must worship all things were designed to worship regardless of whether you believe it or not you were designed for worship the bible says all of all of creation the stars the moon the mountains the ocean the trees they sing they glorify they give praise to their god when you see Crete when you see the geese flying south right, for the winter. It is beautiful because why? They are giving praise to God for their existence. It's beautiful, it is is an act of worship. They're worshiping their creator. Humanity is the only creature that has rejected the worship of their God. The heavens, the sun, the moon, the earth, Mountains, oceans, they rage. They do all these things because God calls them to do it. They praise praise their God. And yet, when God calls man, we have rejected Him. It is the only creature that has rejected God's worship. But here's the thing. We were made to worship. We were designed to worship. We were created to give worth to something bigger than ourselves. And so we reject God, guess what's going to happen? We're going to run towards something else to worship, right? Jesus was telling John, look, everything was meant to worship. Heaven, earth, they were meant to give worship. Reality of the earth below you, the humanity below you, look at them, watch them, they were meant to give worship. It's something that we need to do. Whether you know, and I'll give you some examples, right? See, lots of us we don't recognize that we're worshiping things. We're just thinking like, oh, whatever. I'm just doing my thing. I'm just, I'm just trying to have fun, I'm having a good time. But we don't recognize that, that the act in which we do certain things is pretty much worship. I'll give you an example. Okay? Sports fans, all you NBA fans, all you uh, baseball fans out there, think about this. You read about the players. You study. The teams, you, you you understand the dynamics, you break down the plays, you know all the, um, the information, their backgrounds of each of the plays and each of the teams. And when Sunday comes or the weekend comes, you do what? You come into the presence. You come into the presence of the game to offer your what? To offer your adoration. Okay? And when you come into that presence, your whole posture changes, doesn't it? You, you, you praise, you shout, you scream, you dance. What do you think that is? What is that? Worship, yo's, right? That's worship. What about, what about you art lovers out there, okay? Art lovers, you go into a, a, a place of display, right? You go into like a, a, an art museum or whatever, and what do you do? You have to stand there, you have to look, right? You have to meditate. You have, to, you have to, you can't talk out loud, because that would be rude and it would be uh, disrespectful. And, and you're looking at the piece and you're trying to discern the, the depth of the author. You're trying to understand what, what the author is trying to tell you, convey to you, through this message. Right? Even if the, the art piece is just a big old rock standing on some sort of like, precipice and you're like supposed to be like, this is art, but you're, it's supposed to convey something to you. And the way you feel about it is apparently art. right? And you're trying to be a person of substance and depth, and you're trying to go deeper within yourself to understand the the reality of this. You're solemn. You're affected by it. It pierces your mind, and it pierces your heart. What do you call that? What is that? That's worship, yos. What about sex? We're obsessed with it. We're overwhelmed and paralyzed by the sight of a sexually attractive person or object. It lays so deeply upon our hearts that we would do anything and almost anything for it. Isn't that true? You go to it to console your heart. You go to it to find your joy. You go to it to find your comfort and your peace. What is that? That's worship. Celebrities, relationships, right? We exalt them. We put them on our walls. We put them in our ears as we listen to them. We hang on every word they say. What they desire, we desire. What they wish for, we wish for. What they want us to do, we end up wanting to do too. What they love, we want to love it. What is that? What is that? That's worship. See, the Bible tells us we are made to worship something greater than ourselves. There's a memory trace, there's something deep within the the confines of our heart that tells us that you were made for worship. So when we have rejected the one we were made to worship, what do we do? We run after and run towards something else. Fill in the blank. Money, sex, power, right? Material blessing, relationships, art, sports. Do you recognize? That's what I'm trying to say. Do you recognize worship in your life? Do you recognize that the things in which you are finding your worth, your value, your joy, your comfort, your peace, your depth in? Do you recognize that what you're doing is an act of worship? We were made to worship. That's what the Bible says. See, worshiping is not a scientific attitude. It's a religious attitude. You were were made to want to worship. That's what John saw in heaven. God is in heaven, and he says, look, look at you, your children playing with toy trucks in the mud. When there is an infinite worth and glory here, let me show you, John, so that you can show the world. Let me reveal this to you, John, so that the world can see that they are playing with mud. They are playing with nothing when there is infinite glory for them, infinite joy. See, God doesn't need our worship. He doesn't. We are the one that needs to worship. We are the one that has that need. He doesn't need for us to have. He does does not need for us to do it. All created beings need to worship. And the closer and the the more you begin to understand that, the more you begin to understand the depth of your heart like that, then you begin to recognize the things that you've actually given your life to. right? And so what... Jesus was trying to show John is this, worship that which has infinite glory, infinite power. Worship that which is, that has honor, that, that, uh, worship the one who does not end, does not fail, and does not act or do like anything else in this world. Worship the one who is holy, unique, sacred, distinct. Jesus is showing John, this is the infinite joy that was made for humanity. And all humanity's been doing in their need for worship as they rejected God is to run after mud. That's the need for worship. You guys follow? But what's the way to worship? What's the way to worship? Let me, uh, let me share with you. There's, there's, uh, two things. First, the elements of worship. The elements of it. Is, I'm just going to run through that real fast. There's a lot of elements to worship. There's a lot of things you do in worship. And it's all found here in this passage. Here, all found here in this passage. We're going go to chapter five a little bit. But here, what we see is uh, chapter four, verse 11. We see, "You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being." What do we call that? That's praise. See, that one of the elements of worship is praise, that there is praise, that is, that is attributing worth, attributing value, right? Giving all an affirmation to what is worthy, okay? We see confession in chapter 5. Uh, let me read chapter 5 for you guys, uh, from, from 1 to uh, 10, okay? Chapter 5, verse 1 to 10. So you guys have the, the prospects for me. Chapter 5, verse 1 10. Then I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a scroll was writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll, or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And we had taken it. The four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp. They were holding gold, golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scrolls and, op- and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased men for God. For every tribe and language and people and nation, you have made them to be a kingdom and a priest to serve our God. And they will reign on the earth. Right? We see elements of worship here. Right? We see praise. If you're going to have worship, if you're going to know what worship looks like, you got to have praise and praise. Ch- uh, uh, Chapter 5, verse 4 to 5, you see, uh, we see weeping. We see um, John weeping here, confession. We see confession happening. Confession is an element of worship. He weeped because he realized no one can open the scroll. No one was deemed worthy, right? In chapter 5, verse 8, you see the, the picture of the bowls and the incense. These are the prayers. You see the elements of prayer in worship. Verse nine to ten, in chapter five. We see worship is the. It has music. They, they were singing a song. Music. You have to have music to have worship because mu- worship is the 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 encompassing of your whole being. And with music, you have what? You have the um, you have the analytics of it. You gotta know what to do to do music. But at the same time, you have the emotions of it. See, music is very key and essential element of worship. Okay we have the exposition of truth what does that mean look at verse chapter 5 verse 5 it says um, do, 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 chapter 5 verse 5 you were oh, I'm just kidding All right, yeah 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 chapter 5 verse chapter 4 verse 11 it says you are worthy Our Lord and God to receive glory, honor, power for you created all things and have their being. For, okay? You are worthy because you have done this, right? You are worthy for this has happened. What is that? That is an exposition of truth. You are worthy for what? For you have created all things. Later on you say you are worthy for you were slain. This is an exposition of truth. So, quick point, is that the way to worship, the way to worship is that you have elements of it here. You got praise, you got confession, prayer, music, truth, all of this is how you, all these are the things you need in order for worship to occur, okay? But the ultimate way, the way above all the ways of worship the way to to show that you are truly exercising worship it hangs on the word you know what the word is the word is worthy the word is worthy okay as found in uh, uh, chapter 4 verse 11 you are worthy our Lord and God Verse 9, chapter 5, verse 9, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seal. You are worthy. Now, what does that mean? What does the word worthy mean? Okay? Because if you understand the word worthy, then you understand the true way of worship. If you you, you understand the depth of the word worthy, then you begin to understand the way of worship. And the best way for me to explain the word worthy is through the Bible, right? It's found in Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 13, but it's a parable. Let me, let me kind of just summarize this parable uh, real fast. I'll kind of put it into my own words. It's like this. Imagine that you live in a home and the place next to you is an empty lot, an empty piece of land. It's been on the market forever. It costs about $200,000 to buy it, but it's just run down. It looks horrible, not worth your money. Right? It's everything you have to buy that piece of land. You say, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. It's like not worth it. And then... As you were playing out in the, walking around there, you, you happened upon a, a book from the previous owner of that land, like years ago. You found it somehow, and you opened it. And inside that book, it told you that on this land, in this land, on the, below this land, is hidden a diamond depository worth $200 million. So at first, what happens? You look, at that, you, you look at that book, you're like, ha, 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 what a jokester, what a prankster, right? How is that even possible, right? And you didn't think much of it. You laugh at all. But then you start looking deeper into the journals, and you start recognizing, hey, this, there's some truth to this. And you start doing some... Um, some, some digging of your own and you realize there's, there's more and more evidence is, that's piling on. There's this rational process that you're going through as you're looking deeper and deeper into this evidence. And after a period of time, you went from, that's impossible. There's no diamond depository down there to what? To suddenly say, well, I, I got to see for myself. And so you wake up one night and you go out and you start digging the place where they said you can find the entrance to the depository. He started digging. And lo and behold, you found it. You found the treasure. Then the magnitude of the reality of that thing hits you. The implication of that land hits you. And then you begin to realize all of a sudden, 200,000? That's nothing. That's nothing in comparison to what I have here. And what do you do? You go and you find that money. You go and you, you sell whatever you have. You go and you, and you tell your, your spouse, we're gonna sell the home, we're gonna sell the car, we're gonna sell everything to buy the land next door. And your wife is, or your husband's trying to like, are you crazy, are you insane, are you stupid? What's wrong with you? But you went through this process. You went through this rational process that came to the reality that it finally hits you. This is real. And the treasure is worthy to do what? Sell everything you have. That is what worship is. The way of worship, the way that's above every way is that when you begin to recognize how worthy he is and therefore he deserves everything that he is worth. You recognize how worthy our God is, and you begin to give everything that He is worth, okay? Look at verse uh, chapter 4, verse 10. It says this. It says, When the creatures were singing, holy, 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 okay, and they gave glory to God who lives forever, Verse 10, it says this, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and they worship him who, who's, who lives forever and ever. And check this out. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy. You are worthy, our Lord and God. The reality in which you know, how do you know that you are truly worshiping? That you're not just going through the motion of singing, you're not just going through the motion of confession, you're not going through the motion of listening to the word, you're not going through the motion of just prayer. How do you know that you are truly offering worship? What did the elders do? They cast their crowns down. They, they cast their crowns before him, and they did this continuously. Not just a one time giving up, but it was a cont- every single day and night when, the, when, when, when the, the creatures sing, the elders bow down and cast their crowns. This, this means this, if you actually see the worth of God, you give him anything. You give up everything. You relinquish control of your life. You lose control because you cannot worship something Right, without losing control, you know this. You know this, right? If you guys are into like, material stuff, how many of you guys go online and, and, you, and you see something that's totally awesome and you say, just take my money, right? You have, you have no impulse whatsoever, just take my money here, right? You see, that's, it's so great, He's like, I'll have to, I have to buy it. There's no control there. See, you relinquish your control when you worship and when you begin to see how worthy he is You begin to reorientate your life. There's a whole reorientation of your life. So people who come to worship twice a year aren't truly worshiping. I'm sorry, guys. Right? Because true worship is to recognize the worthiness of the one who is there and to reorientate everything you have towards Him. Right? How do you know that you're worshiping in the right way, okay, is that you recognize and you find them worthy enough to cast out everything you have. But the second thing is this, chapter 5, verse 10 through 11, it says this, um, You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on earth. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests. When you are worshiping correctly, one, you begin to lay down everything you have. You change the way you live, you change the way you think, you change the way you act, you change the way you think, or you change what you think is important, you move towards and, and, and you let go of what you think is not no longer important. You change everything about you. But the second thing is this, you begin to experience the worth of a king, the power of a king, and the pureness and the peace of a priest. The worship of true God always and everly makes you feel as royal and as powerful as a king, and it makes you feel as pure and as acceptable as a priest. That is the worship. That's, that's how you know you're truly worshiping. See, that's why that's why godliness is hot. I mean, I've told you guys this so many times, right? Don't look for a the pretty, don't look for the attractive. And those things are important too. Here and there, you got to be able to kiss the person, right? But at the same time, godliness is hot. You know why it's hot? You know why it's hot? Because the closer a person is getting to God, the, the, the more they begin to recognize the worthiness of God, the more they begin to reorientate their life towards God, what inevitably happens to that person's character, their being. There is a power to them. There is a stability, there is a confidence, there is a strength. And at the same time, there is a pureness, there is a beauty to them. And when you look at them, you look at this person, you begin to recognize what? There is a glory about you. There is a glory about you that shines forth beyond everything else. See, godliness is hot. You can fake power, you can fake confidence, you can fake, you know, pureness and acceptability. But in true worship, when you reorientate your life, when you offer to God who is worthy, everything that He is worthy of, it literally changes you. It changes your posture, changes the way you think, the way you feel. You begin to have the royalty and the power of a king and the pureness and the acceptability of a priest. See, the way of worship is to see what he is worth and giving him what he is worth. Is that you? Do you do that, church? Is your life reorientated that way? First, do you recognize that you, everyone needs to worship? Everyone is worshiping something. And in this moment, you're worshiping something. Whether it's your job, whether it's your relationship, whether it's your money, whether it's your material blessing, whether it's your ambition, your power, your control, sex, you're worshiping something. But the way to worship is laying everything you have down before the one who is actually worthy of it. Worthy. Lastly, what is the focus of worship? Verses six to eight, chapter five, verse six to eight. This is what it says right here. Actually, let me read from one to eight. Sorry, one to eight. We we'll read one more time. And then I saw on the right hand of Him who sat on the throne a scroll with writings on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, "Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll?" But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside. And so I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See that the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. In verse 6, then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain standing in the center of the throne encircled by the four living creatures and the elders he had seven horns and seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God sent out to the earth he came he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne and when he had taken it the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense which are the prayers of the saints it is not enough to worship anything you have to worship The right thing. What is the focus of worship? See, John saw what? He said, do not weep for the lion. The tribe of Judah has triumphed. And when John looks up, did he see a lion? No, he saw what? He saw a lamb. See, a person can't just say this. You can't just say, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere enough about it. I don't buy that. You know why? It's like saying it doesn't matter what you ingest or take in, as long as it takes, as long as it tastes good and it can't hurt you. All right? We all know that's a lie, right? Look at this. This is the evidence of the lie, right? So in the same way, in the same way, just because you're sincere about something, doesn't mean that it's the right thing to worship. See, it's more than just worshiping anything, it's for you to worship the right thing. The Bible says you have to worship the one who is on the throne and the Lamb. There is only one who can open the scroll. There is only one who can pierce the seals. See, the scroll is like a legal document. And in this document it holds the very riches and power and will of God himself, God the Father. It's like saying like a, a rich man, a rich father passes away and leaves back his will. And all the family gathers to kind of... <sighs> see what's in that will, see, to, 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 to sense all of the treasures and the gifts being poured out from this will. But the father said this, the only one who has the right to execute the instructions on this will must have A, B, C, D, E, F, G criteria. And can you imagine, as all the family members are standing there, they're just like, none of us fit that criteria. None of us will be able to ever see what is in that will. None of us will be able to ever inherit and experience the richness and power of God being passed over to them. And that was what John was feeling. Who was worthy to open the scroll in all of heaven? Even the throne guardians who are the closest creatures to God by way of vicinity were not worthy to open the scroll. The scroll. They were not worthy to do it, but there was one who was. And that one who was worthy was the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. The one who was able to bring heaven and earth together. The man from heaven who became man to redeem both heaven and earth. Back to the Father. And He did it not just because He had nothing to do with His life. He did it because of you. He did it because He wanted you. And so when you begin to behold the One who is worthy, when you begin to recognize that He is truly worthy of this, I mean, to behold Jesus is to to, to take Him into your heart to understand the ultimate price He paid for your unworthiness, right? His immeasurable love for you. See, when you begin to recognize Him and how worthy He is and what He has done for you, then your focus of worship is right. Imagine this, everything you've chased, everything you have chased, has it made you happier? Or has it it made you keep chasing after it, leaving you disappointed over and over. Some of you guys who caught it, some of you guys who made it, yay, woohoo, you got it, just give it some time. Give it some time. But others of you guys, if you're like me, you understand the chase has left you disappointed. There is no perfect relationship out there. There is no ultimate idea of sex. It comes and goes and just leaves you emptier every time if you just use it for the sake of pleasure and not deep connection. No matter how many sportsmen, no matter how many championships your team wins, it's still never enough because you want them to win again next year. Right? No matter how much beauty you see on the earth, you're always craving more. Because none of those things are worthy. All of those things demand that you die to have them. Demand that you continue to chase after them, to give your life for them. There is only one the slain lamb that John saw who was willing to die for you. Willing to die to have you, to keep you, to win you. And Jesus was showing John what? This is the essence of humanity. You were made to worship in infinite joy. You're worshiping anyways. Then why not worship the one who made you, the creator who has called you, the one who seeks to have You, instead of doing what? Playing with mud. Church, my prayer is that you would recognize in your heart how much you need worship and how much you are worshiping things around you. I also pray that you would see the worthiness, the way of worship is seeing the worthiness of your God and giving him everything that he is worth. Not just some things, not just what's convenient for you, but everything. Your life, your plans, your calendars, your money, your, your time, your energy, that you will give it to him. And third, that you would have the focus, which is what? Jesus Christ. That he is the very essence and purpose of your heart. Church, let's worship the Lord. Let's pray.